In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. To help Timothy navigate the challenges of pastoral ministry, Paul encourages him using various metaphors, including those of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, and he urges Timothy to remain faithful to his calling, train himself for godliness, and avoid getting entangled in worldly distractions. Good morning and blessed last day of Epiphany Tide. Today is Tuesday, February 21st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. And I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you have some time, head over to lhfmissions.org and find out all the ways that LHF helps congregations and missionaries spread the good news of Jesus with foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition. Again, that web address is lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. He's going to aid us in our discussion of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Good morning, Pastor Shank, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, good morning. God's blessings to you. It's always a, a joy and a blessing to be on, especially uh, here dealing with this text, um, you know, one of the pastoral epistles and, and and reflecting about our own lives as pastors, but then our lives together uh, as a body of Christ and what, what we all can hear and, and learn and apply to our own lives as we trust in the Lord, especially as we enter into the season of Lent. I agree wholeheartedly. I've really been enjoying going through 1 Timothy and now 2 Timothy, and next will be Titus. It's not only a nice refresher for me, but as you said, and as I've been saying, this is for all Christians too. Not only do all Christians, including pastors, benefit from the Holy Spirit-inspired words of St. Paul in these letters, but I think also as our world continues to regress back to, well, the time that would have been uh, most prominent during the time that these letters were written, more and more we're going to see this, uh, I don't want to say advice, it's more than that, but we're going to see this good word from the Lord become that much more applicable to our lives. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's, uh, it's completely true um, that the struggles that uh, Paul faced is uh, it might be um, unique in the setting that he is, he is Paul, an apostle called uh, to to preach the word to all the the Gentiles, um, but we too are called. We too are called to bear the cross in our own lives. And to each of our members, there's always uh, the cross of the individual life of the Christian. And we can find so much comfort in, in the words of Saint Paul as we bear that trusting in the Lord that His His grace is sufficient for us then too. And um, we can trust that as the Lord had. To bear the cross that we can follow him and trust that he will cause us to endure and even even one day maybe even reflect how we use that uh, struggle that we were enduring uh, to the glory of his name and the strengthening of our faith well amen to that i tell you what while we get ready to dive into the text which will be chapter two as i mentioned earlier why don't we start our time together in prayer and i'd love it if you'd lead us in that prayer Yes, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, guide us in the study and reflection, meditation of your Holy Word, that as we reflect on your Word, we may be strengthened. As we hear your Word proclaimed, we may know of your grace and mercy for us. 
We ask you, O Lord, to abide with all teachers of your word, with all pastors and church workers as they go about their call to proclaim the word boldly and not to get caught up into uh, worldly affairs. But help us, O Lord, in our lives not to be so focused on the world that we, we miss, that our place is with you forevermore. We pray all this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen. So last time we got together, which was just yesterday, we introduced the book. This is the second letter that Paul is writing to young Timothy, and he begins by talking about entrusting the deposit, a good place to start. But right before he gets to this section, now we, we've divided it into chapters back in the 1500s, but, but really it's all just one letter. But before he gets into this section, he mentions in chapter 1, verse 15, to Timothy, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. He mentions these people by name, but he's indicating that there are a lot of people who have turned away from him. And he begins this section by saying, you then my child. So there's this nice distinction as he moves into saying, you know, I know that people have, have abandoned me as the times have gotten rough, but you, of course, are still around. Uh, anything else from the previous chapter that you want to lay as a foundation before we read the first part of chapter two. Yeah, and he did encourage him in verse 16 of the one who remained with him and that there was one who sought him out and encouraged and refreshed him. So um, it's that, that that's the contrast, right? We have those who have abandoned him because Paul's in chains. I mean, that is... Um, there's a scandal in that, you know, there's a scandal of the, the preacher being in prison. Um, and I think there'd be a scandal among us if a preacher would be imprisoned, even if it was for to do the, the right thing. He's preaching the gospel, um, but he has to do it boldly and, and truthfully, uh, not holding back uh, based on uh, certain uh, feelings of our culture today or, or whatever it might be. But I, I believe even if the, the preacher was doing it the right way, you know, sadly, there'd be some in the church who would say, I, I don't want anything to do with having to be persecuted. And sadly would, you know, move away from that person, that pastor. And uh, that, that would bring about, you know, great pain uh, for the one who would be uh, in chains and a great pain for the whole church. Uh, so we, I, I'm glad that you brought up the the ending of uh, of the last chapter because it does set the stage for ours. Sure, uh, Onesiphorus is the gentleman. He said that refreshed him often and was not ashamed of his chains. And what I like about it is he says in 17 of the first chapter, when he arrived in Rome, he couldn't find him, and so he searched for him earnestly, and then and then he did find him, and then of course he says. You, you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So uh, Onesiphorus is obviously one of these guys who is very faithful. And then we're going to read chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the first seven verses, and uh, we'll see here how Timothy is included in that, that blessing of loyalty. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Well, Pastor Schenk, I hope you're going to help us get some understanding in these <laughs> things. But he, yeah, he begins by saying, hey, you need to train up some, well, what is this? Other pastors, right? Other pastors, men who are able to teach. Yes. And, you know, he starts off by such a kind word, you know, you, my child, uh, that you can hear the love between uh, Paul and Timothy. And, and yes, it's it's like, what does he need to pass on to Timothy here um, while Paul's in chains? His, he has um, endured uh, all, all things throughout his time of missionary efforts and all that he has experienced as, as a Christian, all that he's experienced establishing these congregations. And so it's like, what do I need to pass on before I'm passing on, before Paul is uh, taken up uh, to be with the Lord before his own death? And so there's a um, an earnestness, a love, and, um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot packed into each of the each into of these paragraphs and sections, you know, it's not just one, one thing that's here, but like you said, you know, he's talking about the handing down of the faith from generation to generation. So now that he, Timothy had this entrusted to him, now he needs to look towards other men to entrust this word to who would be able to teach. Um, there's not a, a lot of things that the pastor is called out to do. I think there's a lot of things that might be on the minds of the congregations, but if you look at the call documents, there's not a whole lot, a whole lot there, but behind all of it, there is a whole lot there, right? Um, they are to, to teach, they are to administer the sacraments, they are to care for the congregation in this way. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of uh, talk about administrative duties. There's not a whole lot of talk about how they are to uh, make sure that the church is clean or uh, up to uh, snuff when it comes to the building and, and codes and all that. But they are to teach. They are to baptize. They are to give the gifts of, of Christ. And this is what Timothy is supposed to be looking for when he uh, when he is handing down the faith for for the generations that are going to come after Timothy too. Even when Paul was laying down the distinctions between um, overseers and deacons or bishops, presbyters, and deacons, you know, the one of the things that was missing from the deacon side of the equation was that apt to teach. And we see here, as you pointed out, teaching is important. You know, you talk about the call documents, really word and sacrament ministry, which is why we call it that, is the function of the pastor, right? To proclaim the word in its purity, rightly distinguishing law and gospel, and properly administering the sacraments according to their institution. And everything else, I would say not only, and please correct me if you have a different opinion, but not only in terms of the pastor's role is extra, that it would be like administrative things, but really everything we do at church that isn't specifically proclamation of the word or administering of the sacrament is kind of extra, right? I mean, that's the reason we gather is to receive the word and to receive the sacraments. Yeah, to that I would say amen, right? We we are called to, to care for the souls in the forgiveness of sins. Um, yes, there's lots of things that we'll do, but these are things that we all do together. 
Um, so they're not specific to the pastoral office, but the pastor should um, be joyful in those duties as well because we care for the church um, mm. as they serve our our only thing. And, right. and I don't mean to be insulting in that, but um, the main thing, the true thing, which is uh, to go and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Right, and they all support that. So, you know, if if it's like, well, the trustee, well, we had, I'll, I'll give an example from my own parish. We had a uh, leaking gas meter, you know, and the head trustee comes to me on Sunday and says, hey, could you, uh, could you get the, you know, the, the admin, or the office person to call that in on Monday? You know, none of us are going to go, well, you're the trustee, you should take care of that. It's like, no, we get it, right? <laughs> We're the ones who work there. We're the ones who are there all the time. You know, this guy has a has a regular job that he's got to go to. So, of course, we're going to call it in. No big deal. And so that I think that goes a lot where me and my DCE, we, we tend to do a lot of things, not because they're necessarily within our vocation, but because, I mean, we're there. <laughs> Who else is going to do it? Uh, and and it's, no, it's no big deal. Then there are some things where perhaps because of your education and training, it might not be specifically related to teaching, but it, you know, you are certainly the one that's qualified to exercise those things like leadership and administration and helping guide and make decisions that perhaps a layperson whose vocation is really elsewhere in terms of their expertise just isn't equipped to do. So, yeah. So I, I think it's just I want to add to your disclaimer out there that we're not saying these things are bad, but we, we always want to make sure the main thing stays the main thing. And as he puts out here, teaching. Yeah. Which leads us really into the, I mean, those are all part of the next couple of verses of three and four about the civilian pursuits. Um, our lives are going to, uh, you can't really avoid it as a pastor or as a, a member of a congregation in the body of Christ, where it's like, well, uh, that's a civilian pursuit. That's just a, a, a thing that we have to do here and now. So I'm not going to do it. I, I won't. Uh, you know, render under Caesar, or I, I won't get uh, the, the little sticker for my car, or I won't, um, you know, whatever it is. Well, no, we have to do that. We do have to do that. Um, but uh, the pastor always has to be mindful of what's the main thing. You know, we could spend all day painting the church or all day uh, refurbishing this, or we could be doing all different kinds of things that are very uh, very much uh, needed in the church, um, but we can't forget um, our calling, which is to preach and teach and to give God's gifts um, and to rely on the, the church to assist in all, all other roles, to be the body of Christ together, um, because there are, there are many wonderful ways that the congregation can assist us in all these things so that we can be about the business that the Lord has called us into. So when he says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, and, and the point is because he's charged and, and paid, I assume, compensated by his those who are in charge of him, and so he does and focuses on accomplishing that mission. He adds to this, the athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, that seems to have a, a little bit of a different connotation. It's not just following the following the commands, but also that there's a certain way to do things and, and, and not straying from that, that established way is important. And then he adds to it, the hardworking farmer who, well, basically gets to eat from what he produces. Uh, how do those things relate to what Paul is trying to, you know, guide Timothy in, and that is good pastoral practice? 
Yeah, so we've got like the beginning here. We've got a soldier who's given um, given a duty. He's given a script. You know, this is what you are to do. And so he's single-minded in his focus, right? Um, when he is given a command, he's got to go do it. And we are given command by the Lord. So let's have this focus. Let's go do it. Now, that's, you know, obviously we've been talking about there's a, an extreme nature of that and then just the common understanding. And I think we've got that understood. And then... In this doing of our duties, new uh, a new diagram of it, you know, a, a an athlete going out. Um, well, don't don't cut any corners. <laughs> That's not going to help the church to cut corners. Don't cut corners towards spiritual growth. Don't cut corners towards um, the idea of of being in this pursuit of running a marathon. Right, we, you you're an athlete, so go and run the marathon, but no no thoughts of um of like i said of cutting corners in that well what could be a cutting of corners of it i don't know um trying to trying to think of can you think of any example um well you know i guess i'm thinking that if the rules so to speak in terms of being a pastor are to be faithful to the gospel for instance maybe a cutting of a corner would be to shortchange or water down god's law and gospel just so that you could have this, well, he also warned against this earlier, personal gain, right? We want lots of people. I want lots of influence. I want uh, I want to look like I'm very successful in what I'm able to do. And if you were to water down the gospel and water down God's teachings and laws, and you were to make your congregation a, a place of entertainment and, and attraction, then you could probably cycle through a lot of people and look pretty busy for an entire career. But is that... Will that earn you the crown, so to speak, at the end of the race? Yeah, I think that's the perfect example. Yeah, I think that's a great one um, because it's such a temptation, especially in the culture, either to avoid uh, certain topics that would be controversial or to make that all we talk about. So our church, we go after those ones out there and we're not dealing with our own people. So we can all gather on Sunday and say, good job, pastor. You went and got them, right? Yeah, you got them. But right. that, yeah. But that's not, that's not helpful to our congregation either that we um, have to preach God's word to our people so that we can all see our own need of repentance and forgiveness. So we can all see our own need for the salvation for Christ, for which Christ has won. And in that we are doing the diligent role of working the field, right? Which there's pruning and there's watering and there's hoeing all, all abound, but it's it's not going to uh, there, there there's not going to be a quick growth. There's going to be a a um, a steady growth of the of the fruit, and um, the Lord is the one who will bring it to harvest. I'm going to add a few more verses to our conversation. I'm going to read verses eight through thirteen. He continues, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
So that sort of ends this first section of this chapter. Uh, but he, he, interestingly enough, he talks about, think over what I say. And right before that, he talks about the hardworking farmer ought to have the first share of the crops. And, and I, I have a little note here in uh, one of the commentaries, and it says, well, you know, Timothy should receive blessings from his work in the ministry. And I, I don't think that's false, but I think it's deeper than that, because then the next thing he says is, remember Jesus Christ, right? That greatest blessing. You know, he's, he's the seed, if we're talking about farming, that grew out of David. And, and, and while I might be suffering, boy, the word of God is not. I think that's, that's the benefits. That's, the, that's the, uh, the blessings from your work in ministry, is to see the word of God grow both in your own life and in others. Yeah, I, yeah, we've got other places that Paul writes about the need to uh, financially, physically care for your pastor, which is true. Um, and I'm very thankful that my congregation takes care of my needs. And uh, when we had um, a current and uh, very recent need of our of our family because of a, a health issue for my son, they all came around and and joined in the the lifting us up both in prayer encouragement but also financially and it was amazing to see um there's uh so there's those scripture passages but i think this one is about if, if the pastor is doing his job working tending to the the reality of the growth of faith the ghost of trusting in the lord and the reception of the gifts well that pastor also is hearing the word preached, uh, maybe also from his own from his own lips, is parting of the studying that he's doing in order to teach, and the reception of the very gifts that he's giving out. So yes, don't worry, pastor. The Lord is working on you too. You will receive this promise because remember, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Um, so yes, I, I think that's the appropriate understanding of that that section. I do like, though, that he, you know, he's already talked about how people are ashamed of him because he's as a criminal bound with chains. But then he he flips the script and says, but the word of God is not bound. Yeah, even if you disagree with my situation, the word of God is the word of God. And it's the reason why he's enduring everything. Um, a couple of things I'd love to hear you comment on. Uh, the first of which, of course, uh, dreadfully so, is the phrase for the sake of the elect. For those at home who probably haven't had a uh, a primer in the idea of predestination and that sort of thing, maybe it's a good good refresher is in order. Sure. So when we're dealing with the elect, we have to understand uh, that salvation is God's doing. And when we uh, first start with uh, the reality of uh, God um, in his uh, in His eternal plan to save humanity first elected, called his son to bear the sins of the world, we can rejoice in this, right? The, 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 the teaching of election is in, in order to remove for us the fear and doubt of ourselves being the catalyst of our salvation, but seeing that our salvation is full and complete in the faithful working of our Lord Jesus. And if he has worked this faith, if he is the giver of this faith, then we have to call it as it is. Like he has elected us, he has called us into it. Um, if we turn election into something else where it's causing angst for the believer, am I truly elected? Am I not? Then we're we're pointing the person to the wrong place. 
back to themselves. It's not the place of my salvation. We need to point the person to Jesus, right? So how do I know if I really am saved? Well, what has Jesus done? He died for the sins of the world. Are you in the world? Then he died for your sins. Okay, but how do I know it's really for me? Well, did he baptize you? Did he wash you? Have you been given new birth in the waters of baptism? That's a passive reality. God did that to you and for you. And he knows that you still need, even after your baptism, need to be strengthened, fed, nourished. Well, God feeds you. That's a passive thing. He does this, and he does it all for you. Um, so every time we, we might become anxious about this uh, election, uh, we remind ourselves that God is the giver of the gift, and he gave us the greatest gift of all, of his son, and in him we have everything that we need uh, for salvation, so be of good cheer. I think that's an important thing to remember because we do have Christian friends who get hung up on election and think, well, if God has declared uh, the righteous before the foundation of the world, we, we see in Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, uh, starting with verse 4, he, he says, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, et cetera, et cetera. People then think, well, it just stands to reason. Then he's already decided who's going to heaven and who's going to hell and it doesn't matter. And as our dear guest has said, you know, this is supposed to be a doctrine of comfort, not one of, of, of fear, wondering if you were among the elect. Uh, but then I like how he also says, the saying is trustworthy for, and then at least the way it's kind of written, he quotes himself. <laughs> he quotes Romans. So he's like, what I've been saying is true, and this is a good saying. You should say it. But I just think it's a little funny because, well, he's the one who said it. But, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Uh, then he gets into some of the specific things that Jesus had said about denying him. You know, he'll deny us, etc. But this right here, I guess it's really important because, you know, the worst thing that can happen in your pursuit of proclaiming the gospel in this world is that they'll take your life. That's the worst thing that can happen. And, well, you know, we've already died. We've died in our baptisms with Christ. Therefore, we live with him. And if we endure unto death, then we'll reign with him forever. And so, you know, I've, I've often given that counsel, and I know it seems flippant, but even in the face of death, which is always bad, the wages of sin, we still have all this comfort and hope that other people don't have. So really, the worst that your enemies can do is take your earthly life, but nothing more than that. Yes, and I, I think it's um, also interesting, like you said, uh, quoting himself or or whatever, but I think it might even, you know, it, it's saying the saying is trustworthy. So it's such a common, it's, you know, he's drawn us back to what would be common. So I, I think it, it relates to the worship. You know, is this something that they would say frequently in worship? Is this a, you know, something that they would respond to each other back? And you know, so um, I, I, it's just uh, it's it's so poetic that it almost seems worshipful. So I don't know if it's sung, you know, sure. or if it's you know, um, so it's it's just a common thing that they all would um, would know, but then this common thing that they they say to each other. It ends by the fact that the, our Lord Jesus will always remain faithful, that he cannot deny himself, that he cannot deny his work, 
that this will remain even to the point, you know, if we, if we aren't faithful, he, he remains faithful, which isn't to get us off the hook and say, well, it's okay to be unfaithful, but that calls us back to the faithful one. It calls us back to his promises. Um, it's such a, yes, it's a, an amazingly beautiful words. Well, those are some beautiful words for us to consider in our hearts as we take just a few minutes for a break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Shank and I will continue with 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Folks, if you've got any thoughts or questions about today's show, I want you to reach out to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Drop me a message there. I just love hearing from you. And also, thank you for tuning in to Thy Strong Word and for sharing the program with your friends and family. They can find us, and you can find us too, at kfuo.org, KFUO app, favorite podcasting platforms, over the air. There are so many different ways. I just want to let you know that you mean the world to me, and thank you for joining us. Well, Pastor Shank, before the break, we were just getting to sort of the the first half of our text. This is actually a long chapter compared to some of the other chapters, so we have quite a bit still to go through. Um, I know we could spend all day just on portions of this, and maybe I should have split it up a little more, but that's okay. Um, Anything else you want to cover, though, before we move into verses 14 through 19? Um, I think it just just as a reminder that we're dealing with Paul, who's in chains, getting his dear child, not physically, but spiritually child, Timothy Reddy, uh, for his life and leadership in the ministry to establish pastors. Um, But as he's doing this, he has got this great word of encouragement that God is faithful. Even when we have to face, as Paul is right now, facing these times of great suffering in his imprisonment and eventually his death, God is faithful. Christ is faithful. He will not deny himself. He will not deny um, the fact that he's been raised from the dead and he had made a promise to us that those who are in him will also be with him. So great word of encouragement for us all. It really is. It really is. Because, you know, we're building up, and this is sort of a poetic way he's saying this. I was thinking about what you said over the break. I mean, he did use the specific phrase, um, if we have died with him, we'll also live with him in Romans. 
but him calling it a, a trustworthy saying makes it sound like either he coined it and it's been picked up in worship or he coined it from having heard it in worship or in other discourse. But it's building up to something that's really kind of startling. You know, if we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign. But if we deny him, he'll deny us, which is what Jesus said. And if we're faithless, and then he goes, well, he remains faithful, of course, because he cannot deny himself. And that's such comforting news. Yeah. So let's read verses 14 through 19, which is uh, sort of the third quarter of our text. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no one good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I think it's a good place to stop. So remind them of these things, the things that he's been talking about, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Um, the them, are those are the teachers that Timothy is to be raising up, right? Right. Um, and, uh, and as we are not quarreling over, over words, um, that's not to deny the, the truth of doctrine or teaching, um, because he brings something up about that. So it's, it's an interesting reality of like, what, what is he fully meaning about, uh, what we are to quarrel over and what we're not to quarrel over, um, because there is this foolish talk that the um that uh these two are, are saying about uh the resurrection that the resurrection has already happened and in that denied the reality of the resurrection or or maybe they think of the resurrection as only a spiritual resurrection maybe and so uh jesus being raised but maybe he wasn't raised physically so then he's there in the end are denying the truth of of the bodily resurrection. Um, so there are things that we need to be uh, clear about and we shouldn't participate in foolishness because the foolishness that is being said here leads us astray for the, the truth of the gospel um, and, and our, and our fullness of our hope of the bodily resurrection, which is to come. Right. I mean, it's so important that the quarreling over, I guess, silly things, what well, he says, irrever irreverent babble, it just leads people into more and more ungodliness and their talk spreads like gangrene. You know, I, I just think about all the things that we do argue over. I, I, I got to say, me included, a little less nowadays, but maybe when I was newer. And, and people get really worked up, pastors included, over things that are not worth getting worked up over. Now, as you said, though, there are things that, for lack of a better phrase, are worth getting worked up over, right? True doctrine, things that point to Christ, things that are that are based on God's firm foundation. But if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to make yourself sound smart or have hidden knowledge by by basically just arguing over every little thing, 
it kind of detracts from the mission of the word and sacrament mission we talked about earlier than it does add to it. What are your thoughts on that? Do you see that happening today? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there are times and it goes back to the last section about worldly pursuits and things that we are pastors get, get caught up on, um, maybe, maybe being overly political, not, not in the things that are of spiritual significance, but you know, what kind of government we should have, what kind of tax structure we could, like none of that really pertains to every pastor can have their own opinion just, but that makes you just a civilian, you know, and uh, like anyone else. Um, but, but right here, it talks about being, being able to rightly handle the word of God. So our overall reality is to be able to be good um, caregivers of the soul and how difficult that is when we're in someone's house talking about their life and their struggle and talking about what what word do they need to hear? Is this a, a time to call them into repentance? Or are they beat down by the world and our fallen nature and the sin of the world where they need to hear a word of Christ's forgiveness? You know, it's it it's not it's not it's not as simple always as it as it may sound. <laughs> and there is this there's this difficulty in um and actually handling God's word where if we're just caught up in every dispute and every um, struggle that we're going to miss the opportunity to be about our business of rightly handling God's Word. You know, talk about rightly handling God's Word. Uh, We Lutherans often think of a proper distinction between law and gospel, and when I try to explain this to parishioners or even even young people, uh, catechumens and that sort of thing, I, I try to illustrate it by, well, a pretty severe example. So let's say someone comes into your office, you're the pastor, and they say, Pastor, I, I just want to know, um, will God forgive someone if they've had an abortion? And as I think you and I were both rightly trained, we're going to ask them a question instead of answering right away, right? We're, we're, we're not going to say yes or no. What we're going to ask is, why do you want to know? <laughs> Because if you don't rightly handle the Word of God, it could be pretty tragic. So if they were to come in and say, well, would, would God forgive someone who's had an abortion? And you say, well, you know, God is forgiving, and those who are repentant, God forgives, and you, you, you proclaim the gospel. And they go, oh, good, because I have an, uh, I have an appointment next week. Right now you've, you've confirmed someone in their sin. Um, and, and if they don't tell you, of course, it's even worse. Or alternatively, you come in and you say, well, no, listen, abortion's murder. This is, this is very clear teaching. And you just sort of hammer at home the law. And then you find out that they've been struggling for 30 years for an abortion they had, or 20 years, 10 years, five years. And so there they are already in despair over their sins, and you've missed the opportunity to, to share the gospel with them. So rightly handling the word of truth, that's just one tiny little example of how it's always incumbent upon those who are apt to teach to be able to not only know what the Bible says, but to know their people and to care about them enough to understand how to apply it to their lives. Have you ever used that example or any examples like it? Yeah, I think every pastor has been caught before <laughs> by oh, um, yes. by speaking when we should be listening. And you just think, you know, not not everything, you know, I don't want to beat up a poor pastor out there or whatever. Not, 
you know, it would be it would be nice <laughs> if we got some context <laughs> with the question. But yes, we I think we all give examples like that because we've all been caught where we said we've spoken too quickly, you know, and we have to be very um, quick to listen and, and very, uh, very studious in, in looking at the situation. And that's true for then every Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Every Christian um, can can learn from the mistakes of our from your own pastor and from my mistakes, you know, where it's like, oh, they asked this question. They just, you know, yay, they, they want to know the right answer. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wait, there's a context there. And well, we right. And, and we're a lot of line landmines, you know. Well, and a lot of us are trained to, you know, have basically the answers to the questions. And and that's sort of uh, this unit principle of theology, you might call it. This is this idea where, well, OK, here are all the questions I'll ever be asked and I'm just going to learn all the answers. And that'll get me through, you know, good 30, 40 years of ministry. But then it turns out, uh-huh. oh, no, wow, people are actually real people with complex issues and. Um, and of course, you're supposed to love them, not just be an answer machine. You could be replaced by AI if all it was was to answer people's questions. Yeah, recently, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, you know, I won't share any names, but I think it's a common reality for a lot of people, which is what does love look like for my parents who are in old age, right? What does love look like for them? And because I've got my own family and my family has our own financial needs and physical needs and, you know, everything else. And it's like, oh, well, I here's the fourth commandment answer. Well, is it the fourth commandment answer? Right. Because there's a lot of dynamics to that. And that person was right to ask, but what about my family too? And what about my needs for my own kids and my own household? And it shows that these things aren't in a fallen world. It isn't as simple as what the Pharisees want to make it to be. And it's, you know, you can try and give a Pharisee answer, which gets them off the hook of love. Um, but then we're not loving someone else on this side. So, yeah, it causes us to examine, pray and repent. You know, it's interesting, I think, when I have guests on and we start to talk a little bit about those in our current culture who are proclaiming a false gospel, who are swerving from the truth. And and it, and it I know it's because of uh, an Eighth Commandment issue, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll, I'll have people say, well, you know, I don't want to name any names, but there are pastors out there. And, and you know that they're talking about Joel Osteen and Joyce Meyer and Creflo Dollar. You know who they're talking about, but they don't want to name names. Paul doesn't have a problem with that, does he? This is like the fourth people in <laughs> in as many paragraphs as he's called out for being uh, for being uh, uh, hypocrites, swerving from the truth. He says among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. And of course, as you've already pointed out, they're saying that the resurrection has always happened, and they're upsetting some. Why do you think that Paul is so confident, uh, aside from being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this? to just name name people? Why is it kind of important to point to not just the teaching, but sometimes the people who are behind it? Yeah, and I think, I think it's probably... Uh, brother, are you there? I think I might have lost you. Uh, I'm here somehow. Oh, you're my, back. Uh... My uh, thing got muted and it wasn't uh, oh, intended. They're, they're getting to you. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, 
I, I think it's pretty clear that um, these ones have been addressed and how that their teaching is not in accord uh, with the word. And yet there's a continuation. But even if it wasn't, if you're going to take a place of teaching in a public um, a public uh, office, that, that that examination of you as a teacher has already happened. So if you are teaching falsely, then a public um, response to that false teaching is not not just um, okay, it's required that the congregation should know that this isn't right. In fact, this is false. So that then the, this public teaching that has happened that's led many astray, which is horrible and horrifying, uh, can be uh, ended and those who are straying can, can quickly be brought back. And he all but says something very similar in the very last quote there. He says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from his iniquity. So he's uh, he's naming us too. He's naming us and all Christians. You know, if you're out there saying, um, I'm, I'm, I'm able to say, thus saith the Lord. And of course, we're only able to say that if it's revealed in Scripture. But if you're out there saying, thus saith the Lord, then you have to you have to keep watch on yourself and your doctrine, as he says elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, there's whenever we're talking about the the uh, qualifications for pastors in the the last book, First uh, Timothy. You know, it's not like those things weren't also true for every person, um, right. but uh, within their own household. Um, but then it's so much more so for the one who will be standing up in the household of God and care for them. So there is an example that needs to be set um, for teachers, for pastors, um, though we need to be clear, uh, and there needs to be a lot of humility for us as pastors, that we're also saying, I'm a poor, man or miserable sinner, right? So that I am sinful, and I need this forgiveness. Uh, the example of humility is the, the probably the greatest example that we can set for the congregation, uh, that we are uh, humbled by God's word and that we trust in it uh, always. Well, he's getting ready to speak to just that, and I think the teaching that comes next is very humbling to Timothy, but also to all pastors. I'm going to finish out our chapter. This is going to be verses 20 through 26, the end of the chapter. Here we go. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Lots to uh, cover here in our last 10 minutes of the show. But he's, he tells him specifically, flee youthful passions. Even those who are no longer youthful anymore can get caught up in those kinds of things. But, but basically, we have another kind of a, a rehashing of the requirements for, for church leaders. But at the same time, it's really on the emphasis of 
the whole goal of any of this is so that people will come to repentance, even those who might be our enemies. Yeah, because then we have to see that the ultimate enemy is Satan, right? Is the devil. And so as we are have the spiritual warfare of uh, um, of the devil and uh, his fallen angels uh, against the church, this uh, great dragon who wants to uh, devour up uh, the woman, right? Um, we are reminded that um, our our uh, our fight really isn't against our neighbor. You know, there are times where we have to have this admonition and this call to to repent, um, but I'm not doing that because I hate him or her. I'm not doing it because I want to inflict injury, but in fact, I want there to be a healing of the body uh, so that this uh, thing that is happening here may not become infected. This wound of false teaching may not become, you know, as they talked about earlier, um, gangrene, and and that would uh, need, uh, call for a need of the, the severing of a part of the body in order to keep the body, which is uh, to talk of like an, um, to, uh, to expel one or, um, you know, to excommunicate one. But even when we excommunicate one, uh, that would be a call then to, for them to see the severity of where they stand. They stand opposed and outside the church. Um, so run back come back, return to the Lord um, for, you know, uh, return to his steadfast love. He's, you know, he is uh, one who relents over disaster. He forgives sins. Um, so our real fight is really not against them, um, but the one who is false and the one who brings about um, this false teaching and the temptation in the first place, which is the devil. The words here too talk about being patiently enduring evil uh, the Greek here has a connotation of uh, tolerance, the, not the tolerance of the world, but the idea of that you would you tolerate difficulties, you tolerate differences of opinion, you even tolerate without resentment people who are false, not because you want to affirm or confirm them in their falsehoods or wrong beliefs, but again, so that you're able to correct them without the well, without the emotions that come along with when we get all worked up over it, uh, the quarreling, he would call it gentleness, he would call it. But today we would just say, you know, don't don't let those who would want to get a rise out of you do so, uh, because, you know, you, the way you deal with them might might actually lead them to hearing out what you have to say. And of course, if you're speaking from the word of God, what you have to say contains power and authority because it's God's word. Yeah, I think, you know, reflecting on, you know, correcting his opponents with gentleness helps us understand why we have to endure evil. There are going to be things that are said um, around the body of Christ, maybe even then within the body of Christ, which is just not true. But then we have to reflect, is this person saying this not true thing because I desire to really bring down the church and to lead everyone astray, or are they just in error? Because we all right. we all have uh, times of error. We all have times where we're just wrong. And think about when we were young in the faith. Think about when we were just not fully understanding. Um, and then someone gently pointed out that that's that's really not the teaching here. And if we could do that lovingly patiently, maybe not even publicly, if it 
if it's someone who doesn't intend to lead people astray, but caringly, privately, um, tenderly, I think we can uh, really uh, show the work that our Lord Jesus has called us into with uh, the sense of um, reconciling and and uh, calling a brother or sister back um, because they might not even really fully know. Um, right. They think they might be doing a good work. Uh, just think about Paul thinking he was doing something good when he is persecuting the church. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity for patience. Um, yeah, if we could all learn, if I could learn that lesson. I don't think people wake up in the morning one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be a heretic today. <laughs> no, I mean, they they genuinely believe. And there are also some some pretty well-meaning people who genuinely believe that what they're teaching is true and, and is beneficial for the church and other people, even when it's not. So no one's saying, you know, oh, I'm going to be an arch heretic and lead the church astray. No, they they might genuinely think that they're leading people to the correct way. So that's why he says patiently enduring evil. And if you were to translate that into um, tolerating evil, which is kind of a word a little bit, you know, you, you it's not as you know, it gives you the real re, the real meaning behind tolerate, not just accept, but understand that it happens. And if you have the goal of changing someone, well, as he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. So interestingly enough. Not that we aren't in our own sinful natures wicked enough to go away from God's will. Sometimes we see here that, well, it's, it is the devil. <laughs> the devil does make you do it sometimes, uh, as much as I discourage that to be a fallback for everybody. Uh, but we, uh, we see here that it's God who grants the repentance. And, and that's good news, too. It's good news that when a change comes about in one's life, it's because God is working through his word. Um, in the last minute that we have, uh, any other final thoughts you want to have for the folks at home? Yeah, I think here throughout this chapter, we've had an encouragement away from fear. Because fear, if you think about all the different aspects of it, can lead people to uh, act poorly, sinfully, it can uh, cause them to treat each other sinfully because we're afraid, afraid of certain outcomes, certain circumstances. Um, and so we act in fear. As pastors, there could be fear that stops us from doing what we've been called to do. And so here Paul is uh, encouraging him not to be afraid, even when we have to endure suffering, as Paul himself is doing, but to trust, trust in Jesus, trust in Christ's faithfulness, trust in the completed work of our Lord Jesus, who has called us, that he is faithful. And as we trust in him, we can be patient with one another. We can understand the struggles that we face in our fallen flesh as we love each other, encourage, and proclaim the truth of Christ's work. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Well, thank you. And tomorrow, folks, is Ash Wednesday. So if you're not in an area of the country where the weather's going to be severe like I am, I encourage you to make your way to your congregation or any faithful LCMS church for evening worship to start off Lent with the Lord. Thy Strong Word will be preempted tomorrow by a special organ recital, but we'll be back Thursday with 2 Timothy chapter 3. Join us then, won't you? Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.